Good morning. We just, we love being with you. Um, we consider you friends, and we're just so glad that we're able to be here together as we continue in this Eastertide season, this season of Easter. And we have one of the most fascinating, thank you for, your, for just being willing to let us read that whole story. It's one of the most fascinating stories in all of Scripture. And so we join our two Jesus followers walking along talking in the midst of confusion. Do you find yourself in confusion sometimes in your journey? I think we all do, don't we? Um, that friend that was so faithful for so long all of a sudden just dropped out of your life and you're like, what the heck? What, what happened here? And we find ourselves confused. Or maybe, maybe you have a loved one or a relative that's going through consistent physical issues and you know that everybody that you know has been praying for them and standing with them in faith and yet they don't seem to get better. They, they seem to keep having this. Or you started that job that seemed so promising in the beginning, but it's just turned sour. Or we could pass the microphone around and we could all put our story in the midst of that, couldn't we? Um, why is this happening? Well, welcome to the human experience, right? I mean, this is how life tends to work. Um, we don't know too much about these two that are walking along. We don't know the identity of Cleopas. Um, I had to listen to that this morning. I was calling him Cleopas, but I guess the official uh, way is Cleopas. Um, some scholars think that it's possible that it was his wife that was following along with him, but we really don't know. We just know that they were leaving Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the place where God was for the Jew. It's the place of the temple where his presence actually was. It, was. it was where we find him in Jerusalem. All of the Jews were gonna be um, in a pilgrimage to go to Jerusalem during this time. And yet, they're leaving. So why are they leaving? Why are they leaving? Mm -hmm. We can only read between the lines in here. We don't really know clearly, but we assume that they're leaving because their hopes have been dashed. They believed in Jesus. They were disciples of Jesus. And then he died. In this culture, when you put your hope in somebody that was the Messiah, and then they died, it was over. There was no other hope. He was gone. I mean, you have to somehow move on with your life. But how do you do that when you've put all of your hope and all of your trust in him? It's possible they were going home. They wanted to go someplace familiar, someplace that felt safe, that they could withdraw into to get some comfort and healing. In the world that we live in right now, there's a lot of people that have found themselves walking away from something. They may be walking away from a, a their faith, a time of deconstruction in their faith, their life views. Maybe they're walking away from dreams that they had when they were young and they've just had to give them up. Maybe they're walking away with belief systems they had when they were young. The pandemic may have increased some of the walking away. It may have just revealed what was already happening. But a lot of people are going through that right now. They're walking away from something and they're not sure 
where to go. I think some of you are probably going through that. The beginning of our passage is about loss. In fact, Luke 24 begins to look a lot like another story of loss in Luke 2. That's when Mary and Joseph left the temple and they got partway down the road and then suddenly they noticed, we don't have Jesus with us. They lost Jesus. (laughs) So, So they went back to the temple and there he was, right where they left him. We can get so busy in our lives and so preoccupied that we forget about Jesus. We lose Jesus in the midst of our everyday life. One day we had, some of you know, we have a lot of tiny grandchildren. So one day we had a number of them with us, three high chairs in the dining room. We were trying to feed them all lunch. And so we had the Chick-fil-A bags and we were handing them out. And it's like, no, I take apple juice, not chocolate milk. Another one is like, honey, don't squeeze your chocolate milk box because chocolate milk's going everywhere on the tablecloth and on the rug and it was, you know, this and that and okay, no, you eat this. No, you you can be fine in that high chair. You don't need to switch the high chair with your sister. And more ketchup than you could ever ever imagine. imagine. (laughs) And all of a sudden, sweet little Livy, who was three at the time, who is so quiet and so shy, yelled, we forgot God. We hadn't prayed yet. So trust me, from now on, we make sure we pray right away anytime that we are with our grandchildren. So in Luke 24, Cleopas, okay, I got it. It's probably always going to be Cleopas to me. Um, And his traveling companion are leaving Jerusalem, thinking that they've lost Jesus. Luke is framing this story to tell us about loss, the Emmaus story. They're leaving because they thought Jesus and their hope were gone. Yet leaving is not always a bad thing. There are some things that we do need to leave. There are some old messages, some old stories that we've been living in that we actually do need to leave. Uh, It may be true that Christianity itself is a form of leaving. That we're leaving behind old narratives, old stories, Uh, that we used to pursue in 40 years of pastoring, we just retired officially. They still ask us to speak, so that was was an honor. Um, I I think nobody else wanted to. (laughs) Yeah, that was probably it, right? (laughs) Ran out of people to ask. Um, In 40 years of pastoring and being uh, professional counselors, uh, we find that people are living in old stories. And they're trying to move out of those old stories. And, and there are four stories that we've encountered. If, if I put it under an umbrella of what most people that we've dealt with have dealt with four old stories. Now, there's, I'm sure there's more than this, but one of those, uh, all of these stories, first of all, are not productive in our life. They don't bear fruit, and they all start in fear. The first one is that I'm, I fear failure that I need to live in a certain way or I'm always accomplishing the next mark, that I wanna make sure that I don't ever make a mistake, that I'm looking to just keep developing and growing and we kinda have these marker places in our life that I'm this age and I should be here now. I should have this and have accomplished this. We all deal with this to a certain extent. I was talking to a, a guy just this week and He was struggling with contentment. He said, I just don't feel, find myself content. And I mean, he's, most people that would look at his life from the outside would say he's very successful, 
lives in a very nice neighborhood. But he said, my neighbor's car is driving me crazy. I've got to have it. <laughs> I feel like if I could just have that, then I would, be, I would be doing well. How many of us live in the, if I could just have that, if I could just get here, I could just accomplish this. And that's kind of sistered with another fear, which is a fear of rejection that I spent a lot of my life trying to make sure that people like me, that people see me in a certain way. And oftentimes we find ourselves over-functioning to try to please people. Boy, it's an old story. It's a very dead, unproductive story. But how much we find ourselves in the midst of that. Another one is blame, that if I fail, I should be punished. Or if other people fail, they should be punished, and maybe I should help out in that. <laughs> How much do we see that in our culture right now? These people are failing. They should be punished. And I'm going to get on Facebook and help them get punished. And it's just so deadly. I have, we deal a lot in our marriage counseling practice with infidelity and we, we see over and over again couples where the offended party so often just can't let go. They just have to keep their partner's nose in it and make sure that they constantly feel bad and that they're being punished to make sure that they're not going to be bad again. Now, we certainly understand that trust takes, takes time to build and develop, and yet they're actually, and, and sometimes they even know that they're actually pushing their partner away but they can't get out of that story because they need to be punished, which leads to the next lie, which is shame, which is because of my past failures, I'm never really gonna be quite okay. I'm never gonna live an A-class life. I'm gonna, I'm gonna just kind of limp along. How much of these stories do we still struggle with and deal with every day of our lives? And these are stories that we need to let go of that we need to leave those stories and move into a different story. It's no coincidence that the Christian community is birthed with stories of resurrection. The old is gone, the new has come. You're made in the image of God. You are deeply loved. You are his beloved. This is where you find your value in life. This, th that's a, a story that will bring you life. So those old stories, even though we see them all the time, they're very uh, active in our culture. And some would suggest that we've actually been trained in those stories as little people. Um, they've passed away. The old is dead, the new has come. So the resurrection story gets us to see the futility of all of these stories. The ways that so many search for happiness, meaning, and fulfillment. They're like a horse chasing a carrot on a stick. We just keep chasing it, but it'll, we'll never get there. It'll never ultimately um, be, be fulfilling. It'll never do what we uh, are hoping um, that it will do. This Christian story allows us to rejoice in the fact that we will never find that thing to make us whole. There's not a thing out there. It's never going to be what's going to make you whole. Uh, there's a quote from Pete Rollins. Now, if you, if you Google Pete, 
He's a little bit of a provocateur, so I'm not suggesting you just go read all of his stuff, okay? But he's got, he's got oftentimes says some stuff that just challenges us in a, in a very helpful way. One of his quotes is, the church is the place where we go to get away from worship songs. Okay, just a second before you react to that. We had wonder, was it worship wonderful today? We had wonderful worship songs, okay? That's not what he's talking about. Um, he says, he goes on to say that we are taught through everything that we encounter in our world that we need to worship things that will make us happy or fulfilled. Consumerism, money, success, fame, on and on and on. The church is the place where we go and we say, we don't gather to find that. We are dependent on something else, someone else that we worship, the resurrected king. So we're on a journey. Many of us are leaving some of those old stories, and we need to be on that journey. As these disciples were walking along, discouraged, confused, on their road, leaving, this mysterious man shows up, Jesus meets them on their journey. They're walking away from Jerusalem. They're walking away from following him. But he doesn't wait for them to get to their destination. He doesn't wait for them to go, oh my gosh, maybe there is such a thing as resurrection, and turn around. He's with them wherever they are. He meets them right as they are. In the same way God meets us, in our grief, in our confusion, in our doubt, He's not waiting for us to have it all figured out or get our act together. He meets us exactly where we are, even if we're walking away. One of the profound things about Jesus is that there's a, he radically shifts our perspective of hope. Where should we put our hope? Where's a holy place that we can be? If you were an early Jewish person, you would have said the temple. The temple is the holy place. As Christians, we affirm that Jesus is the new place of hope, the new holy place. It's nowhere else. It's in Jesus and Jesus alone. Jesus meets us on our road. Whether we recognize him, whether we're aware of him or not, he meets us exactly where we are. We all need to he hear this today. Wherever you are, whatever your doubt or despair or wherever your grief has taken you, he's not far from you. He is with you. The Christian faith is always about God's presence meeting us on our journey. One of the challenges in our journey, I think, we've all picked up either directly or indirectly directly in our Christian faith training is that when we come to faith, I think we get this idea that we're gonna to need to work on ourselves. We're gonna to need to really trust God to come in to our lives. We're gonna to need to turn everything over to him. And there's gonna be some challenge in the beginning, but it's gonna be a little bit like a plane taking off. We're gonna hit some turbulence, we're gonna go through the clouds and it's gonna be a little difficult, but there's gonna be a place where we're gonna get our act together and we're like gonna like be soaring above the clouds in this really sweet space. I don't know about you, but I've not found that place. Um, <laughs> the reality is our life, this life that we live is a little bit more like train tracks. On one track, we have resurrection life, we have this new beginning, we have this hope. 
On the other, we're going to face difficulty. We're going to face brokenness. We're going to face a world that is still struggling. And we're going to face the fact that we're going to keep slipping back into some of those old stories. So how do we keep trusting in this, but realize that this is going to be our journey together all the way through? The narrator in this um, passage tells us that the man is Jesus. But the disciples were kept from recognizing him. God is still at work in this story. The event of of Jesus' um, crucifixion would have been common knowledge. I mean, it was something that everybody was talking about. So the disciples are really shocked. It's like, you you want us to tell tell you about Jesus? How How do you not know what's going on? But it seemed like Jesus is doing this intentionally. He wanted to hear from them. What happened? What did you believe? What is the story that you're listening to? He wants to know how they understood God's story and their own story. So they share it with him. This Jesus was supposed to be king. He was going to deliver us. It was going to be over once and for all. It would be good. But now it's not because it's over. So they tell him about Jesus, about following Jesus. They explain to him their hopes. We put our hope in Jesus, and he let us down. We thought he'd be the one who would redeem Israel, who would save the world. We gave up our lives for him. We gave up everything for him. He was a prophet in word and deed. And at the end of the day, he died. I think this next verse is interesting. In addition, some of our women astounded us. His body's gone, these disciples said. They said they saw angels. It's so confusing. He died, but his body's gone. What they're telling Jesus is, we can't even grieve in the way that we need to grieve. The body's gone. We can't move on from here. One of the sad and yet profound things here is that these two disciples don't believe the women disciples. They admit that there's rumors that are going on, but they're still grieving. Why? Because in their mind, resurrection just wasn't a thing that happened. When people died, they died. There was nothing else. This mysterious figure then does something interesting. He says, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. So he explained himself to them and said um, what was happening in all the scriptures concerning him. And then Luke stops. Don't you wish he would have expanded on that just a little bit? I mean, I'm like going, okay, come on. Tell us all of that about you and how you fit into all the scriptures. We like the transcript. We like the transcript here. I don't know about you, but it's like, why not give us the detail here? You know, God seems to be satisfied with leaving us guessing a bit, um, wondering what actually that means. We can only assume that this mysterious figure begins to teach them how the one true God is the one who always had suffering and giving at his core. 
This God was always the one who laid down himself in order to rescue, for rescue to happen. These disciples knew the Bible, in essence, what was, what was available to them. But they needed Jesus to tell them the story the right way. The theme of God's redemption breaking at the darkest point is all throughout the scriptural story. You're going to see this everywhere. It certainly was in Egypt at that final point of disaster. God steps in and pulls them through. We also see that some years later, the Assyrians were just about to take over the city. And God intervenes with this big angel that stands at the gate to keep the Assyrians out. Over and over again, it's at that breaking point, the point of greatest resistance when God jumps in. The prophets have always pointed to the reality that it is through the darkness that light comes. This is not how we would have written a story, but we need to realize that this is the story. These two people have been reading the story as how God would redeem Israel from suffering. But it was instead the story of how God would redeem Israel through suffering. Now, don't hear me wrong. God doesn't cause the suffering. But like in the parting of the Red Sea, a new path is created right in the middle of that. So, what's happening in your story right now? Is it working out the way that you wish it would? We often pray that God would deliver us from suffering, from the pain that we experience. Now, this is fine. The, the psalmist prayed this as well. We see this throughout all the psalms. Matter of fact, if you want to understand what people have gone through in our culture um, throughout history, read the psalms. It's the prayer book of the church. You're going to see all these other people that are struggling in some of the same very ways that you are. But how often do we pray that God would deliver us in the midst of our suffering. Has, so, so has he not met our expectations? We need to allow him to tell us the story the right way. So Jesus did suffer, but he entered into glory, which is the second part, the resurrection. I think this is the beautiful paradox that we live in and followers of Jesus, these train tracks. We, we serve a suffering Savior and a glorified Savior. The book of Revelation illustrates him as a slaughtered lamb who is a lion. This mysterious figure says, in essence, don't you know that you had to give up the normal before you see life's true fulfillment? Didn't you know you had to lay down your false stories before you see what you're really longing for? This is our journey. Banquet is an important theme throughout Luke. Jesus always seems to be hosting a party or giving bread to someone. He's feeding people. How do the disciples eventually recognize Jesus? Is it because of his incredible scientific ar arguments that are proving resurrection? No. Is it because of his charismatic, strong personality? No. Is it because he's just doing so many miracles right there with them that they're like, oh, no, it must be God. No, it was through the breaking of the bread. When he broke the bread, their eyes were open, and they knew this is Jesus. Our God is the one who always sets a table for us. He always invites us in to the table. 
Jesus tells them their story, then he breaks the bread. In church, we call that the word and the sacrament, the story and the meal. Both of these are elements. Both these elements are what we are about as a church. It's who we are. So we tell a story, and we live as sacramental people in our everyday lives. Uh, so that when people see us, they see hopefully the story of God proclaimed, and they see his sacramental presence. So one of the definitions of sacrament is where heaven crashes into earth. Heaven comes to earth. We believe that God is uniquely present in the sacrament that we're about to experience at the table here in just a few moments. So both elements are important. Without the story, the sacrament's kind of a, a little bit like a piece of magic. Without the sacrament, the story is just an intellectual exercise detached from real life. So you put them together, and they're the center of the Christian life. So if you remember the story of the Last Supper, Jesus uh, said that he would not eat with them again until the new kingdom, back in Luke twenty-two sixteen, This resurrection has brought about this new kingdom, has begun a new way of being in the world, res resurrection life in Jesus. It's really fascinating. The whole story of Scripture coordinates and comes together. Uh, again, we wish it was a little bit more detailed and a little bit more clear. Uh, but this story in Luke 24 reminds us of another story all the way back in the beginning of Scripture. In Genesis 3, you have these two people, Adam and Eve, who embark on God's plan to take care of the world. But because of the rebellion, because of what they ate, sin enters the world. It begins to break apart. Here, Cleopas and his companion are like a new Adam and Eve, but in reverse. They live in a world that is broken, thorns and thistles. They live in shame, distraught at their loss. But through what they eat with Jesus, their eyes are opened. So this language is very similar to what happens in Genesis 3. They are now called to new creation as God's image bearers, to be a reflection of his nature in the world. When they were walking, the, when the disciples were walking along the road with Jesus, they told him to stay with them. They said it was late. So maybe they were thinking, it's dark. It's dangerous on that road. You don't need to be doing that at night. And yet, when they recognized Jesus, when they knew who he was, they didn't care about it being dark. They didn't care about it being dangerous. They probably didn't even care about how long it was. They had to tell the story. They had to go and gather with the other disciples and say, we saw Jesus. And so they ran to be with the other disciples. Um, and when they were there, they met up with other people and they heard other stories of resurrection. They heard other stories of people who had seen Jesus. And so they gathered these stories together. They compiled them as a group and they became a community. They became a, they became a community of the risen Savior. We have seen Jesus. He is risen. He is alive. So that's what this good news of the resurrection is all about, that we bring a community together like this. All of our um, kind of a vast variety of experiences, of, of our life experiences, of our journeys. If we pass the microphone around this morning, we would all have some some fears, we'd have some anxieties, we'd have some stress, we'd have some needs for 
um, something to impact our brokenness. We also have joys. Uh, we have things we're excited about. We have new births. It's the community. This is what the church is all about. It is certainly not the people that have it all figured out. <laughs> it is a people that are on a journey. So when we say that he has risen, that resurrection has come, we are not saying that all is right in the world. Obviously not. We wouldn't have mass shootings, viruses, international conflicts, death and pain. We affirm that Jesus is coming again, that this world will be made right, but with the resurrection, somehow this future world that we hope for, grown for and believe in, has broken somehow into this present world with Jesus. This new world has come bursting into the old world through this resurrection. I'm often reminded of Bishop Ed's analogy of daffodils. <laughs> We've heard this several times uh, over the years from him. It's a, it's a great analogy for this, you know, particularly here in Tulsa. We have daffodils come, they, they seem like they come early in the spring because they are early, because there's still a whole lot of, of cold weather. We might even get a freeze, oftentimes do get a freeze after the daffodils come. Um, but Bishop talks about us being daffodil people. <laughs> we are people that, that are living in a way that we believe that the sun has come to life. The sun, S-O-N and S-U-N, that the light is out. And yet we also recognize the reality of our circumstances and situation. So the church is called ambassadors, uh, witnesses to this new world. Doesn't always look like the sun is out, that resurrection is here, but it's there. This is where we get our hope from. It is in the resurrection. So church, may we allow him to break bread for us so that our eyes can be opened. Allow him to teach us how to live in this new creation. Hope is not lost. We always have hope in Jesus. I hope we hear this and I hope we bear witness and share it to other people. Christ has risen. It's not an existential hope. It's not a form of a coping strategy. We get to live in the resurrection. It's how we show, it's in how we show love, how we care for the least of these. It's how we lay our lives down. It's how we show empathy. We're part of this new creation. And he meets you on your journey. He knows your pain. He knows what you're walking away with but he's walking with you. He knows the whole story. He tells you the story, the parts you've gotten wrong, the parts you've been blinded to, and he breaks bread for you, showing you who he really is. May we journey with, tell the story, and break bread with a broken world. So in just a moment, we're gonna to come to the table. One of the reasons we believe this is so important uh, that we do this consistently, is this is where these disciples, their eyes were open, that they saw something new. They were let, able to let go of some of their old stories, and they saw Jesus in a new way. And so we're, we encourage you every time that you come to the table, bring your confusion, bring your fears, bring that place in you that needs healing. Um, 
bring anxieties, also your hopes and dreams and all the things that you're longing for in life. Let's bring those to the table and allow him to let us see.